Oral Argument World Headquarters, Joe. I know. It's we, very. It's good to be back. Got a roaring fire. It is, um, what is it, 11.35 at night right now? How, when are we recording? <laughs> Something like that. Um, it certainly feels like that. That's, you usually go to bed around 7.30, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Not with the time change. Not with the daylight saving. It's 6.30 now. No, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a couple of uh, of oh boy uh, adult beverages, but we haven't even begun to drink them yet. That's true. Less people you, think it will not surprise you to hear I'm a little bitter about the whole daylight saving thing. Oh my god! Explain it. Hit well, me. what do you got? I just feel like in the spring, an hour gets taken from me, and it doesn't get returned into the fall, and it's just it just I don't like it. So I don't appreciate it. I, you know, this is, I, I, I feel like, like everybody talks about this all the time. And let's change I, it and yeah. then let's stop. But that's fine. But why did, yeah, so people complain when daylight savings time comes around because you, quote unquote, lose an hour. Right? Right? Yeah. Okay. Fine. An hour I, got I, taken I get from it. me. But then they say, let's do away with daylight savings time, which to me is so wrongheaded. I feel like we've talked about this on the show before. Maybe we, we did. You know, I bet if we listen but back, we will this, find that we've talked about it every single time it's happened. When I'm in this rage, I can forget that we've talked about it. Yeah. Rage is too strong a word. When I'm in this smoldering dissatisfaction. Yeah. So the answer is that we should just stay with daylight savings time. If not, if not. Correct. Let's it. never like right now, officially, right. let's never change the clocks again in this seasonal fashion ever again, ever from now. Yeah. I, uh, so I'm so look, I'm making a very big gesture here. I'm willing to never get that hour back. That's fine with me. I will make that peace with myself and the world. I just assume that we add another hour. Don't confuse me, man. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, we just, we it'd go to Atlantic time. Let's just, you know, let's, let's, uh, or, or no, the other way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of the problem. Yeah. So what are we talking about this evening so that this isn't a 15 hour episode? We're, Obviously, we do not have a guest. No. And, and we've been getting some great feedback be, about the Richard Ray episode because it was a great conversation. I'll very the, interesting. I just want to lay out the setting. So we, we've dragged the mics up. Yeah, to, to the main, the main. I would say we're would on the mezzanine level of world uh, headquarters. Of world headquarters, there there is a, uh, I guess you would say roaring fire, not a raging fire. A raging say, fire is something you have to put out. It's a, it's not a roaring fire. Either. It's pretty mellow. Yeah, it is. A, it is it's mellow. It's a comforting fire. A comforting fire on the, basically the last gasp of any kind of cold weather. Right. Or coldish. It's not really a cold. return of cold weather. Yeah, kind cold of. for us, not for Georgia. Mm, yeah, speak for yourself. But that's you know, <laughs> and. And so we just kind of drag the mics up here. There's going to be some echoes and stuff. We're just going to let it go, right? This is just a casual... We're going to let it rip. Uh, but we do have... So we're going to do a little bit of feedback. Nice. Also have a topic. Cool. Joe, I want to talk about the Facebook. Really? Yeah. Are we going to talk about whether oral argument should continue to have a Facebook page? I think that can be one of the things that we talk about. Because I think the answer could be no. I think it could be no as well. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, is there anything you wanted to bring up at the top of the show, though? I feel like maybe... You know, I think we're going to move in the next few episodes to Robert's Rules of Order for the show. Oh. Because we, you know, we don't want to talk over each other. We, we Mr. Make President, sure I'd like to note the absence of a quorum. <laughs> we're both here, so uh, the motion fails. Oh, crap. Supposed to, clerk will call the roll. But, uh, you know, there's supposed to be an agenda. I think we have, to, we, have, we have to adopt the minutes. We have to approve the minutes from the last meeting. Is there any old business? <laughs> 
Yeah. Old is business. there any new old Ooh. business? Is if, there any old new business? If we were fancier. Have you ever noticed that the <laughs> new business is older than the old business? How can that be? What does that even mean? I don't I'm even know sure. what you're talking about. I'm not sure. Are you just talking over there? It's a riff on the... Uh, there's this joke in uh, a Woody Allen movie called Love and Death, which is a spoof on the Russian novel. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point in the movie, it is mentioned that, that uh, young Nahamkin is older than old Nahamkin, and no one can quite figure out how this could be. Uh, yeah, if you keep calling people by the same name. Just you know, riffing on that. Eventually, someone's going to be called the younger who's older than the person called well, the elder. You That's know, just way to happen. kill the joke, dude. Okay, way just, to pull a Gorsa. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Even did you really? You did. I, yeah, I you could just see did. that I coming. Could, I could see the twinkle in your eye. So the um, look, the thing I only, the only thing I want to say at the top of the show, uh, by way of the feedback, is I was starting to say before that you know the Richard Ray episode was so great that it was such a great conversation, and uh, and we've gotten some uh, really positive feedback about it, which is no surprise because of Richard and what a great guest he was and what a great paper it was, and of course that oral argument is happening. I think. Uh, uh, maybe next week. Yeah, I think that's uh, right. The oral or, or is it this in week? that case? I think it may be this week. He said it was two oh, weeks. Is I, it this week? I haven't looked at the calendar, um, so I don't know. But it's coming right up, and and that means, of course, the the oral argument recording audio will be available on the oia.org website and on the uh, if you cr- put that in your in your podcast app, you'll or get on, that on the delivered. Supreme Court's to, website. If if you need real audio format, you can go to the Supreme Court's website. <laughs> <laughs> They also they, they post the MP3 as well, um, but they post real audio. Yeah, that was I haven't seen a gash that deep since Freddy Krueger. Uh, oh my gosh! So, so you can listen to the oral argument, uh, and and it's just a fascinating set of issues to think about uh, what to do with these fractured opinions. And I'm not going to read this bit of feedback, but uh, listener Steve in particular wrote in with uh, with a really nice note about how he thought that episode was like really you know help him see different sides of it and and revealed to him a little bit more about our own thinking because yeah. i think our own approaches to law were reflected in the in the conversation that we had with richard so and there was he, a, it was a really nice uh, note from was, steve so thank you it was a very that. nice note and then and will bode had a, a nice tweet about how and I, and my my sense is that he's probably um spoken with richard about that project yeah before um but he mentioned that it was fun to listen to it because when you experiencing experience things in different media you know, reading a paper, hearing a conversation, you can learn and think yeah, he mentioned the paper, the brief and the and the podcast were all kind of different cuts at the same problem. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the theories of the show, right? Is that that's quite true. You uncover something a little bit different when you talk about a writing or an idea before it's written down than you right. do with a written thing. And perhaps to St. John's for teaching me that lesson in life. Truly, that is one of the things that I that I took away from the college that that great conversations which you can have with things that are worthy of great conversations. And not everything is. Right. The nearest bazooka bubblegum rapper probably isn't going to sustain a really fun and interesting conversation. It might, but probably not. I don't know. Um, but, you know... Depends uh, on whether you've read your Wittgenstein lately. Yeah, but you know? uh, I mean, a lot of, the, yeah. a lot of the, the papers, we've been so lucky to talk to folks who've written these really fun and interesting papers. And so... We get to have these wonderful conversations, and you it, you you reach different things. You learn different things. You experience it in a different way when it's a conversation. Absolutely, yeah, a little whining from Darcy there. So I don't know thank if she you, wants Darcy, to and do thank you. She's whining in different. approval, and thank you, St. John's. Speaking of interesting papers, we did get a little bit of follow up uh, or a bit of feedback from uh, from listener Asher, who cited Larry Alexander's I think classic paper, "Constrained by Precedent." Yes, for, and I have not um, I've not looked at that, but. I really do feel like over the next year or two, 
this is um, something I'm, I'm feeling much more drawn to, to write about and think about because of the, the network analysis projects that I've been doing yeah. and that I'm going to continue to do. But, you know, thinking of the, thinking of law as this fabric that we're constantly weaving and unweaving and reweaving and, um, and there's a, I, I think it's Hershevitz who, who wrote this paper in a volume about Dworkin, uh, and I think he makes the point that there's a way in which stare decisis is honored as much by overturning as by reaffirming cases. Hmm. When you mm-hmm. think of, when you reconceptualize stare decisis as a, as a principle of integrity and fidelity to the to the fabric and the process of of weaving and unweaving and reweaving that's very dworkin and 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 i'm so i'm just very drawn to this set of questions about what is what does this system really mean and how does it operate and what does it mean to hew to precedent to have a system of stare decisis and how do you honor it okay so we're not going to talk about the alexander paper today because we're not ready to do that but i uh and i've never read it yeah so so we need to so yeah, I, I've looked at it, but you know, there's a lot that would need to go into that, and maybe you should talk about it through the lens of a more contemporary paper. But um, it, but it occurs to me as you're talking that like um, there's nothing I think of as more Joe in a way, really, right? than than conceiving of law and other ongoing social projects as conversations through time, mm. through text in particular, but not always, you know, not necessarily through text. Just right. the text is a is a you know, is a message in a bottle. Um, there can be some intentionality into how that bottle washes up on particular shores, but mm. but it is like that. You're all about conversation. That's reflected. You could say it's reflected in your background at St. John's, but I think one of the reasons that you went to St. John's is because you were attracted to this mode of discourse, right? Oh, the yeah. way of thinking about things. And and so, one of the issues here is like, are people really saying that like your disposition about how to conduct this project of, you know, over time working out our system, our social system. Like, is that ruled out? Like, because other people have different dispositions or do they claim that in the document certain dispositions were encoded? Because it does seem to me that it's a different disposition toward thinking of, you know, it's a different, definite disposition toward precedent, right? And what it means. And which is, I can see like your attraction being kind of very personal in a way. Mm. And I wonder if others are also, you know what I mean? Like if, if others, if other persons' yeah. approaches are equally personal to them, right? But 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 they aren't surfaced as such because, of course, if you were to write about it, you wouldn't talk about your history at St. John's or or your um, yeah, you know, probably or your, not. Or your I mean, upbringing or something. It, you might if you if you wrote in kind of a like a critical race type vein, you know, that kind of storytelling mm, and narrative. Yeah, that, that could, it could right, be very it could interesting. Be germane to that, right? Um, but, but there are other ways to write about it which where it wouldn't seem as germane, right? Um, and, uh, and my guess is if you wrote a piece about your theory of precedent, it, you wouldn't include that kind of biographical dispositional data. Or you wouldn't be inclined to unless someone prompted you that, hey, that yeah, might be an interesting right. thing to talk about. Right. I think that's right. I, I, it wouldn't be on the surface of the thing. P- people who knew me would know, but people who didn't. Um, and in theory, the, the greatest number of people who ever saw it would be people I didn't know. Right. Uh, because it would continue to exist long after I was okay. gone. Let, so let, let me, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, I, I, you're right. Uh, it, it, it is interesting to wonder how, to what degree are the things we read now of a person 
like how much of Wesley Newcomb Hofeld, a name that's I'm seeing a lot lately because it's the centenary of his of his uh, mm. of his work. Uh, like how much of that is about personal things for him that we don't know. Right. It could be a lot. It could be none at all. Uh, we just don't know. Yeah. I don't it, know. I'm not a biographer of his and I haven't read a biography of him. And and even if I had, no no telling whether or not there would be some correspondence there. That's true. Oh, yeah. I love Hofeld. One of the favorite things that I worked on and wrote had a, a big Hofeld chunk in it and I enjoyed it. Like, I, I don't know if there's some congeniality with the way of thinking about the world. I, I don't mm. know. It's hard to it's hard to know exactly, right? I mean, a lot of it's taking other thinkers and then refracting them through your own lens. But listen, I, I know that some of you out there right now are, are thinking to yourselves, like, and you're, and you're already typing. You're already typing into an email. Like, you guys have this all wrong. You know, it's not about disposition. Look at the, don't Just don't do that yet. This is not a full conversation about <laughs> precedent. <laughs> this is not... This is not a rigorous academic conversation about precedent. We're just kind of musing right now. We're musing about like why, why I think Joe would be particularly attracted to this kind of intertemporal dialogue vision of what we're trying to do when we work out, especially in the common law, but maybe even in interpretive schemes. And other things. so right. I don't know. That's all we're doing. So don't don't just don't send that email. Just, and, and let's so we'll put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool your jets. That's it. Uh, what <laughs> what? <laughs> so uh, where are we with this? With it's, what? it's so late. So it's we're, so you late. said you want to talk about Facebook, and yeah. the, but you also want to talk about some of the other feedback. Well, okay, maybe? so we so we did get two um, two separate emails. Uh, yeah, from listener Joel in Australia. Uh huh. Two um, references that were uh, I think occasioned from different shows. One uh, our show with uh, Marissa Broderon about her, about her new book, The mm-hmm. Color of Money. For people of color, banks are shutting the door to home ownership on Reveal News, and it's a it's a great article. I'm going to link it up in the show notes. Oh, cool! Uh, the other one that he uh, sends along is an article about uh, it's an academic article, um, accessible. The PDF's accessible about how fines um, are disadvantaging the disadvantaged, mm. which is in this vein of scholarship that we've seen a lot of. I mean, you know, through the law school and otherwise, a lot of people are writing about kind of the secondary effects of the criminal system. Right. Especially after Ferguson, yep. right? Like unpaid fines, the, just the effect of arrest, even if you're never convicted. So there's the a lot more attention being paid to this, to the criminal justice system as, as it's interacted with. At multiple of levels, conviction. including yeah. the sort yeah. of municipal fines level where you get in this treadmill of sort of fine and inability to pay and bench warrant to get the fine. And it uh, really drags people under. And you can't get off of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're looking at your phone. I didn't know. And it's a level you're not of, looking at Facebook, are you, Joe? No. Okay. And it's a level of, it's, it's again, it's this local law and municipal law that, that in many ways is the most frequent interactions people have with the legal system. And, and it has these enormous consequences. I, 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 yeah, it's, it's a great topic. And, and it's one that we should do on the show at some point, right? These collateral consequences of, of arrest or interaction with the criminal justice system or the collateral consequences of fines i agree and we and i we haven't find someone for us to talk about that yet have we what we haven't done that yet have we i do not think we have and i should find us someone to talk to about that it seems to me the hot topic in among the criminal law world right now a hot topic yeah i don't think it's the only one it's the only one uh okay it's the only one got it message received here's one i can't let this email go by is listener andrew (laughs) yeah 
That, what, what, do you see the subject? Are you looking at this? Is that what you're looking at? Or are you looking at yeah, Are you doing other business ment- right uh, now? You, mental you, models. I know that you're a big multitasker and you conduct two or three items of business at one time. Sure, sure. No, but you're looking right now at this. You're focused in. You're like a laser on what we're doing. And what is the subject line again you said? Well, I said the first... Um, the subject line is... Mental models and I don't know how to pronounce that. Bonnock spaces. Bonnock yeah. spaces? I actually don't know if that's the way you pronounce in whatever... I forget where Bonnock is that from. Would, that would have been my first guess because yeah. of just from the spelling. But it doesn't matter because the math pronunciation is Bonnock spaces. <laughs> so, <it doesn't, laughs> right? so uh, yeah. So I, immediately I see that and I'm like, what? This is like, and I gotta late, read the this whole is thing. like the whole latex thing. And, like, and, the, like the way people say latex is latex. Uh, yeah. Even though it looks like it's spelled latex. We talked about that on our show about That's word processors early on. Yeah, yeah, it's latex. So it's Bonnock spaces. Uh, and, and the PS, and I should just jump are, down to the PS. What are Bonnock spaces? They're complete norm linear spaces. Ah. Yeah, so so uh, 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 a linear space is like a vector space. You know, it's like you know a set of things that can be added together, but there's also a linearity to them, right? So, okay. Uh, and um, and a norm means that you can kind of measure them, like with an absolute value or or something, you know, Groovy. Or, or the two dimensional version of that. In other words, you can. It's kind of a there's a length you can you can kind of measure things, and complete means mm. complete. Are you ready for this? Yeah. If you've got a sequence, you, you remember what a sequence is for math? Just a, like a, you know, one number, then another number, yeah, then yeah. another. But it can be, doesn't have to be numbers. It can be other things, right? So a sequence is just, it's what it suggests, a sequence of things. Yeah, yeah. And if you can measure the distance between two things, right, then we can say, hey, if you've got a sequence where the terms are getting closer and closer together as you go along, mm. okay, that's called a Cauchy sequence. It's where the, the terms of the sequence are getting closer and closer together as you go along between one another um, a complete space is one where every such Cauchy sequence actually converges to a point huh the so, same point uh, no 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 not the same so so an example okay so um, um, you could have a set of uh, you could have a sequence of rational numbers right that converge to an irrational number in other words you know the rational numbers are just the P's over Q P over Q or P and Q are both integers mm-hmm. right um, so, uh, those are the rationals, all the fractions, and you can get closer and closer to the square root of two with a sequence of rational numbers, right? In fact, that's how you get the irrational numbers. So 99 70ths. Mm. Mm. That, you, that's very close to the square root of two. Okay. Yeah. I didn't a sort of a classic. Oh, you've taught me. I, I approximation. Did, did not know that. All right. But of course that is not the square root of two because you can't express the square root of two as a fraction any more than pi. Right. So, uh, but but you can get a sequence that that it, converges, that, that on, converges that. on square root of two. But guess what? Square root of two is not a rational number. So in the in the set of rational numbers, right? That that sequence is a Cauchy sequence because the terms are getting closer and closer together. Right. But it's not convergent. So the set of rational numbers is not complete. Oh. Right. So you can think of a complete space as kind of a space that doesn't have these holes in it. Huh. You know, it contains all kind of the limits that it should. I'm being very casual here because there's also a definition of, there's also this thing called closed, which is, you know, a set that has all of its limit points, but we're not going to get into that. So here's... This is all from memory, too. It's been years. And I think what the most important thing to consider here right now... Yeah. And so I'm just going to cut right to it. (laughs) All right. Is how do you spell Cauchy? C-A-U-C-H-Y. C-A-U-C-H-Y. Right. That is not anywhere near how I would have guessed how to spell that. Hmm. So I'm very glad I asked. Are you? Do you want to talk about Lipschitz functions? 
<laughs> not not right now. Okay, okay, okay. Well, so um, thought you were interested in talking about funny names for things in math. Would you like to talk about a, a delightful color of ink known as Blauschwarz? Oh my gosh! So a Bonnock space is just one of these vectors. So that's a no. Yeah, you know, no. It's just one of these. <laughs> it's a vector space where all the Cauchy sequences converge. Got it. Converging Cauchy's, all of them. Yeah. And so you can do Button a norm up. on it. Yeah, it's, it's you know, uh, it turns out to be really important for a lot of things. And so were you going to read this PS in the email from listener Andrew? He says the Bonnock space, spaces. Yeah, he says the Bonnock spaces mentioned in the email subject line. It's just a reference to one of the earliest episodes. Boy, those were some good ones, weren't they? Do you they? remember saying Bonnock spaces? I don't remember exactly which one that is. I remember we did, we were kind of wild and woolly in the early episodes. It mentions earliest episodes in which someone named Christian, and I don't know who that's a reference to. What do you? Because I don't remember these early episodes. Were, oh. you, were you involved in those early episodes? <laughs> randomly mentioned them. He said, Christian randomly mentioned them, con- consequently making yours the first and to date only legal podcast where I've heard them casually or otherwise referenced. And now they've been referenced to a great depth. Hopefully of- correctly, because it's been years since I've actually, you know, looked at any real analysis. But yeah. So there you go. Nice. Is there anything else think, that Andrew said that you thought was a special? I think we can just button up the whole episode there. Okay. <laughs> People know about Bonnock Spaces now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so he, he, this is great. He says um, he just listened to episode 111, A Random Walk, where we talk about this um, Models of Law theory that I mm-hmm. have. And I don't think it actually had the new Models of Law paper up then, which I just got edits back from the editors. Recently. Oh, nice. Yeah. How did that, how's that going? Oh, it's going fine. This He's is a, uh, Illinois Law Review, right? Yeah. It, it particularly resonated with me because of the references to mental models. I'm currently working on a fellowship to characterize engineering faculty member mental models of engineering ethics and engineering ethics education as part of my dissertation. That's otherwise part of an attempt to articulate a political economy of engineering education, uh, going with the ethical and the economic, a la Amartya Sen or uh, Adam Smith for the deep cut. As a result of my own experiences running the general idea of mental models past other people, I have a question for Christian. How has the paper or the idea... Am I having to hold this back? I'm getting old, Trevor. Well, the idea of shared mental models of law, how has that been received since you published well, it? Well, you haven't published I it. I haven't published it. That's I mean, part you haven't formally published it. Of course, you published a... A preprint. A, 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 a working draft, as yeah. it were. Yeah, that's been out there. Um, so, how has it been received? Well, we'll see when it's published. I don't know. I, I think in law... So, I haven't heard a lot. No, there's a reason that he mentions this. So, mm-hmm. don't you want to mention the reason? I mention this because... Some of the work on mental models has historically been more for characterizing mental health models of physical systems and our processes, and obviously you're not talking about that. No. I, so, as you know, Joe, in law, there has been discussion of attitudes that people have, that people just have attitudes about things, and they're distinguishing that from the idea that we all think about things in the same way. Right. Right. Um, there's the distinction between exogenous preferences and kind of deep-seated principles that people might have that they might share. Um, so it, it's not as though law has never dealt with something that you might, um, or, or that legal scholarship hasn't taken account of mental models. Did you models. say exogenous preferences? Don't you mean endogenous preferences? No. I mean, I, we're making an assumption about the endogeneity of preferences, and that may or may not be accurate. Yeah, see, I always get confused about but this. It's, but I don't think we think of them as, as a system of exogenous yeah, but, I mean, I've seen I've seen papers different ways. So, so uh, I think the... So I could be wrong. I'm just talking off the top of my head. But my general sense is that when we say that preferences are exogenous, we mean exogenous to the legal system, right? That people just have the preferences that they have. Not in 
Oh, and I yeah, and I yeah, would refer to that as the endogeneity of preferences. In other words, the preferences are coming from inside, inside the person, rather than outside, not from right, the right. legal system. It depends on the point right. of view that you're taking. Yes, you and I, as a yeah, humanist, yeah. I think we should <laughs> so to try to focus. Are you the saying person. I'm not a humanist? You always say that I'm a humanist. So I think I'm you're one of the. I think there's only one person more resolutely oh. and consistently humanist than you, of of whom I'm aware. Oh, really? And that is John Hodgman. Oh. Um, but you, 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 and John are vying for the title of. He talks um, about mortality a lot, and I'll just say that about, when, he, when he dies, I'll be number one. Yeah. Now, I'm, I, I'm not sort saying Sort of fulfilling, it. in an interesting way, his observations about mortality. Yeah, you and he are, are sort of vying to be the number one humanist on the mm. planet. I don't think people think of me that way. Really? I don't know. I do. I don't... Well, that's, that's nice. To hell with those other people. That's nice. That's what I think. That's nice. Um, I mean, how... Goodness knows you're much more of a humanist than I am. <laughs> Maybe you project on me all of the humanism that you would like to have, or you think that you don't have, but in fact you do in greater measure than I have it. You know, I don't that know. would be yeah, fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's a lot going on here. That As we said on the show, was it the show with Richard where we said this, or was it the show? No, it was the one with Scott where, where, we, where we said that this show really. Like, oh, it's all about, it's some extensive therapeutic exercise for me. Right. Working out something. I like can it, forget what I'm supposed to be working it's out. It's going to be a Black Mirror episode or something. Helping you figure out your, your idiosyncrasies, how, how you were, your particularities. Well, at least we know it'll go on forever. <laughs> if it's about exploring my idiosyncrasies. Um, so I guess the answer to this is uh, um, in, in law, um, you know, there, there, is a, there are veins of scholarship which which think about, uh, which refer to kind of law and interpretation as, as, as not having anything to do with mental models, that there's a thing out there that's being mm. interpreted. You know what I mean? Right. right? And, and um, so that, that kind of ontological approach to law is obviously not consistent with a mental models approach, or at least you have to do some work to figure out how you would fit that in. Um, and then the law in economics just considers, um, you know, people like what they like and, um, who knows why they like it, but we can model them in these ways. In other words, we have models of minds rather than conceiving of people as people with mental models, right? Which is more, is the jurisprudential kind of approach that I take. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I mean, I, I don't know how to answer this yet. I don't know how to answer this yet. Okay. Um, we'll see. We'll see if it gets traction. We'll see if people think that it's a different way of seeing it, or if they think it's a translation of, of things that people are already saying about Convergent attitudes. I mean, there's a lot in Hart's models, uh, in Hart's model, in, in Hart's uh, concept of law, right? We, uh, and, and in other works, which says like there's this internal point of view, and it's a convergent attitude, and you know all these right. kinds of things. So, it, I mean, the big cleavage that I see, the big, the big separation that I see is, and, and it's sort of a Robin West, you know, feminism and the law, sort of, or I can't remember quite the title of that paper, but. But the sort of the, the big division I see is that is there sort of there are approaches that are at bottom law law takes um, law takes as a predicate or the or one's approach to these issues takes as a predicate that fundamentally people are cooperating and they're working out ways to engage in the cooperative enterprise and that includes coping with the fact that cooperation can break down in various ways and opportunism can become a problem in various ways but but the defaults the sort of the default of the system is inherently social and cooperative right and i think your work is part of that yeah enterprise and then i think there's an the, the sort of the other stuff 
basically takes the opposite starting point, that, that laws fundamentally about managing our ultimate separateness and that the separateness is the default. And so we're trying to prevent tyrannies of various sorts and yeah, prevent a, and, uh -huh. and, and enhance or preserve liberties of various sorts because keeping the individual protected fundamentally from the overbearing of others is like the important predicate or project. Oh, I wouldn't right? have gone that far normatively. I, I thought that the other approach was going to be to see that there are these things called rules um, and it's all about like the right approach to considering rules as uh, rules as things that have separate existence right and that that there are kind of right attitudes or at least better attitudes towards these things with a separate existence I, like I think that that's, is i think that's a fair uh, characterization i associate that w way of approaching stuff with the second group yeah well because i i'm working longer term on this idea that we have this duality that i'm not you know this is as you say it goes back to robin west and and before that right this duality between this desire for separation that society basically is a bunch of cleavages between separation and connection or between the self and the not self and the right. and and part of this work is just to say that the self is a very complicated thing right and mm. the, the self is constantly generating these simulations these models and comparing them and judge and 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 trying to generate what you think are models of other people's reasoning and syncing up your models with their models etc 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 so uh it's a it's a long-term project <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think human history suggests that it is a long-term project. That particular uh, division uh, is something reflected over very long periods of time in the thinking and writing of lots of different people. Hmm. I don't know which one of those two sides I'm, I would put my own stuff in. I think it can be hard to locate oneself, speaking of the self. Yeah. Um, but I see you very much in the Robin West, uh, what I'm associating with the Robin West sort of humanist, social, I guess, I mean, yeah, right. I'm, I'm more of a, uh, I'm, I'm more interested part. in kind of description in a way, right? And um, I mean, I have normative instincts, but in terms of a theory of law, it, it's, you know, people... <sighs> Well, an, I, an account of law is it an account of how people see the see the world, see themselves, perceive things, perceive yes, law, et cetera, et cetera. I, and I guess I'm just maybe I'm staking a what is in a way a descriptive claim, but it's sort of like this. The, the this is one of those very very basic kind of root choices, uh, and like all of them, of course, it's a leap of faith to a degree, right? There's, it's not like I think it's not like you could ever marshal enough evidence that would persuade a person who who sort of deeply resonated with one of those two things to, to jump over to the other group. Uh, like, I don't think it works that way. Yeah. Um, but, I, but my claim and, is... So you can call that normative if you like, uh, but it's, it's just sort of there are leap, there's a leap of faith. Yeah, we're and, talking past each other, though, because I, okay. I, I, I think the mental models approach is... is I don't want to keep going down this road, but, but is a... Um, I'm claiming I have a better description of what's going on. When when you observe law, when you see people cooperating, right? My claim is that that cooperation entails some kind of rule-based normative structure, right? Where rules rules viewed very loosely, right, is like right. a syncing up of mental models and expectations. And I and I hear I hear what you're saying. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I think that I wrote the, a whole paper on it. I should just rest on the papers. And That's I think that the <laughs> the notion that cooperation is one of the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. 
this sort of a posture of cooperation is is a fundamental um, in in your descriptive ap- approach. Yeah. Um, and I think there are just some people who would who would say, ah, oh, let's problematize that. Yeah, but see, in a way that you wouldn't. Yeah, because because I accept that that like you know I, I accept that the gunman the famous scenario of the gunman and the robbery victim yeah is a legal system mm-hmm. right in the sense that there is a cooperation there although it is procured by coercion correct and it is very fragile um, but it is basically a sinking up of like expectations by I'm modeling the robber's brain the robber's modeling my brain you know we're yep. getting a model of each other's expectations about this cooperation and we you know so you can look at it that way. Um, but that doesn't say that I favor such normative enterprises, right? At okay. all, right? I mean, it's a cooperation. They're cooperating, but you know, other people might say that's not a cooperation. But then we're just disagreeing about words. It doesn't matter whether you call it a cooperation or not. The point is that you have two people interacting in a way that requires this, um, the sinking up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we getting anywhere? Like, should I just cut all this? No, you, of course you shouldn't cut it. I just it. feel we're, like I should. I don't want to. I don't. Yeah, we're I, reacting to Andrew's uh, observation and I, question. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm in a different space thinking about this than I was. I, I, I taught my uh, legal theory class today and we, we read um, Larry Solom's piece on indeterminacy. Oh, okay. And Robert Cover's beautiful piece, Violence in the Word. Now, when you say Larry Solom's piece on indeterminacy, you could be referring to a number of different pieces by Larry Solom where I think he tackles yeah, but I think, that in various ways. What's yeah, but this, this is his this is his University of Chicago Law Review piece from, I think, the late... 80s and what is it called uh i think it's called legal indeterminacy oh. it's an attack on the crits I, I i actually forget the title i've been talking i've been talking about it for an hour or so today mm. and um or at least not me i'm encouraging the students to talk about it but um it's a fascinating piece you know and everybody you just see when when, when you read a writer like like larry right or, or like robert cover writing about violence in the world they just you see like a, a clear slash through the legal system which is just a uh, one person's vantage point at that particular moment in time, like mm. we all contain multitudes, right? But it's like, of oh course. my gosh, I'm just seeing, I'm seeing this whole legal world through Larry's eyes, mm. and it is fascinating, right? And then I, and then I shift over, and we're talking about Robert Cover's piece. You know, the, this is judges deal pain and death. You remember this part right. of violence oh, yes, in the words? Yes, yes, and and fascinating, just like just like a like a lightning bolt in the other direction. Not necessarily, you know, there's nothing in in violence in the word that is obviously on its surface like incompatible with what anything that larry wrote in that piece it's uh, but it is just a totally different way of seeing what's going on yeah or at least describing what's going on and now i'm shifting gears again and i'm trying to think ah what did i say in that piece <laughs> <laughs> okay my headspace is because i'm in other people's heads today well okay well let's let's talk about something completely different you want to sure you want to, sure. Yeah. Let's talk about the fact that I'm going to this Big Ears music festival again this year. Two years in a row. This isn't what you thought we were going to talk about. No. No. And I, I think we're done with it now, actually. I'm very excited about I it. I think you've said what could be said about it. Really? Uh, yeah. I'm very excited. I want to give a shout out. You're I think excited it, to go? I, it's great I think that it you're is, going. I think it is the best music festival in the United States. You haven't been yet. This I've, year, no, I've been twice. I bet I've been before. Yeah, but you haven't been to this year's yet. And I and just the lineups in the past. It's just a terrific festival. So next time we'll hear about your experience yeah, there. I guess really excited about it. Love it. Okay, so Facebook, Facebook, Joe, do you use the Facebook? I do. Still, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Although, like a lot of people, th- this week, I think I have. Uh, been 
looking much more carefully at some of the settings mm-hmm. involved in using Fed, and I have made some changes in my settings, um, and and have been thinking about you know what what would I be giving up if I left? Mm-hmm. I've I'm so far not leaving. Yeah. And I don't know that I'm ready to do that. So I'm going to include all the links. We're talking about, of course, this uh, the issue that's ar- arisen since the news out of Cambridge Analytica, which was the um, company Steve Bannon was associated with. That um, There's lots of news about... They're known for producing these kind of psychological profiles and, and trying to sell them to influence elections and other things. Right. Um, how else would you... Just, I'm not describing it very well. It's too late. Maybe we should just sit still. Well, but it's, look, it's been covered in the news a, a lot over the last week. I think people are familiar with the general contours of the issue that you have a lot of subscribers. There are applications that if you agree... Oh, you're talking about the Facebook part of it now. Correct. Yeah. As you agree, as you're signing up for to use an app, hey, well, can Facebook connect with your app? Sure. Uh, and then what can that app developer get from from you as an entry point into Facebook and et cetera, et cetera. Right? Yeah, there's, so a great, there's a lot of press yeah. stories about all this. There's a good article um, by Ben Thompson on Stratechery, which kind of goes over the changes in the Facebook APIs that allowed this to happen so that I guess there was a researcher. Uh, um, is it at Oxford or is he at Cambridge? I forget now. Uh, um, I don't remember either. Uh, Oxbridge, whatever. Yeah. Uh, a researcher and... And he had produced this personality test. It's not exactly like which Muppet are you. Everybody's familiar with those things on Facebook. Right, it was right, a different right. thing. It was more um, more detailed. And the Facebook APIs allowed people people who kind of opted in to using this app, right? Uh, if you're an app maker, you get access not just to that person's like timeline and all this stuff, but all of their friends' stuff, too. The mm-hmm. API allowed you to get all the people who were friends. So they were able to turn this several, right. it was a couple tens of thousands of people who had signed into, up for this or something yeah. into millions, like 50 million, uh, 50 million people. So a lot of people's data. Now, uh, I guess I don't really, uh, we can do a whole show about this and about, many shows. Yeah. Actually. And, and uh, we can have uh, certainly, you know, um, you know uh, Woody has a new book coming out Yep. on this. Um, uh, Woody Hartzog. We've had a show with him before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Frank, Frank Pasquale, Danielle Citron. Yeah, I mean, there's... James Grumman. Yeah, a lot of people writing about this. So I don't want to go into all the details now, but I, I did want to say, like, I've thought about writing a blog post, but, like, why, don't, why do I need to add to this? Because I think everyone's saying the right things, which is it's not about... It's not purely about data privacy. For me, that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not scared that... Or at least I'm not only worried that, that Facebook is stealing my data and selling them to people, this kind of information out of my control kind of thing. I'm not worried about the disclosure of secrets, although... Maybe I should be a little bit, right? But that, that is a concern. It is a concern that, you know, we should be able to maintain some secrets and not have them sold to the highest bidder. That's fine. To me, that's not the most disturbing thing. It's the bringing back of that information into the Facebook universe combined with Facebook's algorithmic timeline. For me, that is the breaking point, right? That Facebook is this experience which is, which is kind of, uh, the algorithmic timeline shows you things in such a way. So you see very few, this is, remember our episode with Michelle Meyer, I think the guinea pig episode that right. we did way back when, we'll link that up. You see very, very few of your friends' posts. You see them out of order. They're ordered in such a way, and they're chosen in such a way, as to increase your engagement with the platform. At least we think that's the goal. Who knows what other goals there are, whether it's selling products or it's... Uh, well, those two things are related, right? So the degree to which... Um, the average Facebook user 
uh, engages, spends time in the application, that's, that is a fact that can be made known to people who are buying advertising on the platform. Uh, and the more time there is and the more refined Facebook can, can tell its potential advertisers, we'll be able to show your ad to the people for whom it will be the most useful or interesting or response mm -hmm. inducing, right? Um, that all goes to the bottom line of the rates charged to those advertisers. Right. So the, those two things you just mentioned are very deeply related, I think. Engagement right. and advertising, because advertising is the way you make money from the engagement. Yeah, I mean, this. so there's a part of this which is just the standard thing that people, you know, uh, that, you know, you're the... You know, that that uh, that we're basically the the products and and we're being sold to advertisers, right? That like Facebook by engagement is like growing crops, right? And right. and selling us to an advertiser is like harvesting those crops. And, so. and when you're not paying for something and you don't yeah, quite yeah, yeah. know who's getting paid, you're probably the thing being sold. This right. is a very well known thing. Yeah. So there's but that even that to me is not the problem here, or is not the biggest problem with Facebook, right? So and there's this other stuff about how you know you can do studies about the addictiveness of Facebook and how um, uh, people are sadder after they use Facebook and they're sadder than they thought they would be when they logged on to Facebook. And in general, Facebook is making people sad, right? Uh, <laughs> which has not been my experience of it, but, but, but that's the, the data seem to show that like Matt Iglesias has this really great, uh, article, which is basically just a, um, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a takedown of Facebook and, and it goes through, it marshals some of these things, right? Just look, you can't argue with the science, Joe. But that's the whole point. Like everybody's arguing with the science on Facebook, actually. Uh, um, so, so, so but, what do you think? The, is the, the timeline is so that the way that Facebook shapes your Facebook world, right? Of you course. don't have control over that. Of course. And what's being fed? So it's not just that your data are insecure; it's that your data are being used in ways that shape your experience, and your friends' data are being used in ways that shape your experience that you don't expect, right? And it distorts our discourse. And I think that's the sure and. And the discourse is very fragile, especially around politics, mm -hmm. um, morals, but even social things, right? Because, um, and this connects with the mental model stuff, actually, right? There, there is so much that we take for granted. There's so many shared premises that we rely on when we're having an argument about something, right? Like yes. when you and I argue about some legal point, there are just so many things that we agree on that make that disagreement possible, right? Yes. I mean, without that, like, you know... The, we would constantly be returning to these unstated premises and stating them and derailing the argument, right? It's, so, it, again, and this is the sense in which it's not like a math problem. This is not like arguing about the convergence of Cauchy sequences, right? We're arguing about the death penalty presumes a lot of stuff about culture and morality and other things in order to get to the particular kind of argument that you're having. And I, Facebook distorts all of that. Right by giving you kind of a warped perception of the world about what people are talking about, uh, um, because it shows you things and for a particular set of reasons, and you don't know what those reasons are. Right, you you don't like why am I seeing this friend's post here and not their other post, uh, and not this other friend entirely? Like you know, we, it's as if you you know imagine that you went to a public park and instead of just seeing the people who happened to show up that day or the people who you had arranged to see at the park. You saw some subset of them, even though they were all there, right? You only saw some subset of them, and some other company, for its own reasons, decided who you could see and talk to at the park. 
And there are ways in which this is obviously quite different from things that have happened before uh, or other contexts. Yeah. Um, there are, however, some continuities. So uh, if you go to an amusement park, if you go to a shopping mall, if you go to any number of very carefully constructed environments... Disney World or Where something? the person... That's an example of an amusement park. Yep. So where the people who are creating... <laughs> The venue. See the value of shared premises, Joe. Have have the have very specific objectives, which you may or may not appreciate to a greater or lesser degree at any given moment that you're there experiencing the thing that you're there principally to experience as a customer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so there's can be varying transparency levels and. This is the cetera. candy for the kids at the checkout counter kind of thing, right? Where your yeah, your, your experience is being shaped in a way to serve someone else's purposes. Yes, and at least at this time and in this place, we don't live and move very often in unplanned spaces. Right. And unplanned experiences. And I don't mean planned by us. I just mean planned by somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but not me, but somebody plans constructs i mean in a way this is so much about sarah schindler's work in the the choices that are made in creating spaces right right that um you know where do people put these parks that are supposed to be open to the public but wind up being on the top floor of a building yeah etc so the so choices are getting made and they get made by people and people make choices for all kinds of reasons including self-interest and the degree to which that can be readily be perceived and then fed into your own choices about where you want to be and why and for how long and when, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it can be a complicated thing to navigate. And, of course, it's in the interest of some people creating some of those environments to get you drawn into that environment and be the least, to, to engage your own cognition about how long do i want to be here and why and when right to do as little of that thinking on your own as possible yeah but this may be yes and and so it's that in much the same way and i heard an interesting analogy today in a different context but i think it's an equally interesting thing here right where because part of this is about technological capabilities that are far uh outpacing kind of our historical development to the degree that you buy into certain evolutionary hypotheses about humans as particular kinds of animals. Um, but this analogy was about to calories and food, right? And the obesity problems that arise from the fact that we've sort of developed as bodies that have access to about X many calories with about Y frequency. Um, and suddenly we're in a world where calories are just super abundant. Right. At very low cost. Right. right? Um, and, and, but our bodies aren't really made for that world uh, in the way that they're made for that, the scarcity world. Right. Um, and our minds have this, some of the same issues. And with, that's almost like suddenly happened. So that's, that's the sense in which like there's this, this leap in technology that kind of changes everything qualitatively. Right, and yeah, so, because yeah, differences in degree the, can yeah. become so large that there are right. differences in kind, and when and when Facebook and other effective, effective for them, right? When Facebook and other things like Facebook have this sort of fire hose shoved down our mental gullet of, <laughs> of the equivalent of 
feeding us all this, our mind, all this stuff, right? right? Um, it, it, so when you say distort, um, what's interesting for me about that choice of words is it's, to me, I, it's not the word I would have picked. Um, it, th- they're creating an environment like just about everybody else who yeah. makes places and yeah. things for which people can spend right. their time. But it's, it's so powerful. So, you know, I think of the number of people who say advertising doesn't work on me. Right, who think of themselves as basically un- unmanipulable by yeah. advertisements, right? Is, I mean, it's a lot of people think of that. Well, like, I, I would, even myself, I don't think I, I see lots of advertisements. I mean, not as many as some, but I see advertisements, and I yeah. never, and I always think, yes, like I'm not interested. Like, and in the way that everyone thinks, oh, you know, I'm above average. Well, not everyone right. can be, <laughs> right? Right? Or right. Would, there wouldn't be an average. So, right. so yes, obviously, it's uh, there's a there is a range of degrees of self awareness. Um, issue by issue and thing by thing and item by item. That's yeah. And I think we're just, true. I think we're just unprepared for the degree to which having a, especially if we spend a lot of time on a platform like Facebook, we're unprepared for the degree to which our experience of that will shape our understanding of the larger world, yes. of our friends' views, of the views of the average person, of what's normative, like what we should think. I mean, of whether we are above average or not, whether we're too lazy, whether we are, uh, whether we're, um, uh, really succeeding, whether we're failing, like all of these ideas about ourselves, you know, oftentimes we, we measure ourselves in relation to the outside world. Maybe we shouldn't, maybe there are ways of thinking about how to do that better, but we do. And, and being presented with it's just a super powerful way of doing that. It's, it's not, you know, it, it may only be a quantitative jump over putting the, um, putting the candy at the checkout um, in, in the checkout aisle. Look, but I just said... A, yeah, you, I know you did. I know you, you were did. talking yeah, over yeah, me, yeah. but, but I, I just nope, said... Nope, nope. I was not. <laughs> Roll back the tape. <laughs> I just said differences in degree can yeah. become so large they are differences in kind. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you about the fact... I'm trying to make you disagree because this show is called Oral Argument. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we are, we're unprepared for it in the sense that we're living in a time where... People have finally accomplished a, a, an intensity and an effectiveness at this kind of thing, constructing these kinds of environments where people want to spend the kind of time people want to spend on Facebook and Twitter and other social uh, uh, platform stuff, um, where it just, just hadn't been achieved before. Uh, and so, yeah, we're unprepared for it. You're and right. Facebook made some very bad choices. Like, this is what, you know, they, they made... They didn't have to be this kind of company, right? Like they could have been a company that saw the value in people connecting with friends and family and doing everything they could to make those, to enhance those connections, to give people more ways to choose for themselves how to interact with others. And they went a completely different direction. I think that's, that is my sense and uh, as well. And my, my guess is that choosing that the path you just described them not choosing right um would have meant less profitability mm-hmm. um in some predictable ways maybe there would have been greater profitability in some harder to predict ways and so they and so they worried about that and chose the easier more predictable profitable path right, right. um but uh but I, th- I think it, they were looking for the more profitable route and, and that the one that you describe as being better in many ways, um, it, 
isn't being pursued precisely because it isn't just profitable. Yeah, but they don't get a pass. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we disagree about this, but they don't get a pass for that. Like, I'm not giving anyone a yeah. pass for anything. Yeah. Uh, maybe quite the opposite. I, I agree. Right? I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we agree. But so like, they, I, they, I, think, I agree totally that, yes, that's And you look at the last 10 years of revelations about various things that have happened at various times. and, um, and, uh, and Various things at various times. I love it. In, <laughs> in terms of Facebook's <laughs> behavior and Facebook's uh, choices, and when it comes to... Uh, you know, transparency mm -hmm. or thinking about Facebook users as human beings and not as, you know, tra people trapped in boxes with little buttons to push to make them another penny, yeah. right? Um, they have never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity, <laughs> right? Um, they've someone, made someone posted on, there's this Business Insider article where they uh, where the the article so I, I i can't confirm separately but the article purports to have an uh an instant message from mark zuckerberg when he was in harvard or maybe after he dropped out saying hey if you ever want the uh data on thousands of harvard students i've got it all they just uploaded it and they said well why would they do that and he said and he just referred to them as dumb i think he used an expletive as well it says i don't know why they trust me dummies yeah, you know, and right. he's, like he was an you know, yeah, like you know how immature college kids are, right? And that's what he was at that point. And maybe he's grown a lot, but boy, this doesn't. Right. <laughs> he chose this path. They chose this path. Well, they and they keep choosing it over and over yeah. again yeah. in terms of the transparency issues and the et cetera, et cetera. Let me give. So I, I did. I tried to write down. And and yet, as someone who has used Facebook for a number of years and enjoys. A number of aspects of it, including ways that I've reconnected, a word you will see people describe their Facebook experience with mm -hmm. over and over again, right. right? Reconnected with people from different parts of my past and, and, and in ways that I have found rewarding, right? Um, yeah, I don't want to give that up. Yeah. I, it, so it's, I'm very torn, as I think a lot of people are. Because there's not a great way to get off the, you know, you want a similar social graph, but you want control over it. I mean, that's what I did. So, yeah, and, and these things are very, these two-sided things are very sticky. So, you know, it would be great to be at the, to instantly be able to go to the thing that took Facebook's place, but getting there is very hard. I think it was last year I posted something about, like, you know, it would be great if, if, if people did not, uh, if people used Facebook basically for just, like, following their friends and family, even extended friends, friends of friends, people you meet on Facebook, that's great, but, like, you know, posting these um, organizational things, you know, with memes and it just right. that that seemed to me to be the leading edge of this problem. So, we, with discourse. so but let me let me give you a list of things. What, what, what were you going to say? We've got to get rid of this oral argument page, right? If I, we if we're trying if if because that's the sort of thing that encourages people to to like or to engage with a, a an entity. Yeah, that's not just people they know. Yeah, I think I'll update it with this episode, and then I won't update it anymore on Facebook. Why That's not what I'm take thinking. it down? Why not get rid of it? Like, I don't... I could. I could, I guess. But, like, I've already posted a bunch there. People posted on it. It's like it's there. It's happened. Right? Like, I don't... You know, it doesn't... Well, all right. Let, let me give you these. So I started to try to make a list of of things to kind of protect yourself and your your kind of view of the world. Like, you know, like given that like there are going to be bad actors out there who try to aggregate data, given that like your data is going to be insecure. I'm just assuming that I'm okay. assuming people are going to, like, how do you, 
how do you use this? How do you participate in social networks and, and how do you participate in the world? So here's some ideas I've got. I'm going to run them by you. Okay. I was thinking about doing a blog post, but like, I don't, I haven't, you know, this is just a rough draft. Okay. So number one, don't use services that force you to use an algorithmic timeline. If it's not reverse chronological and composed only of posts of people you choose to follow, don't use it. Among major services right now, that pretty much leaves Twitter. If you use a third-party client like TweetBot, or I think if you use the official Twitter client, I think you have to opt out of their little algorithmic thing. Yeah, because Twitter now uses algorithmic presentation. At the top, right? And then then it's reverse cron. I don't know. I've never used the the Twitter client. I've gone to the website before, but... um, but like, why not use a third? You can still use Twitter and get nothing but reverse cron. And the point is here, you control your timeline. You control what you see. Because you're deciding who to follow. Right. And, and I, it's being presented in a particular way, reverse chronological. Right. And it, at least using TweetBot or Twitterific or one of these other apps, all that you see are the people that you chose to follow in, ordered in the order that they posted. Yeah. Okay, so that's my first suggestion. You know, get control of, of what you see. And make what you see from, you know, expand your horizons, follow, you know, people that you might disagree with, but mm-hmm. like at least follow like real people uh, and make sure that you're, what you're seeing is, is, is what they say, right? And not some subset of it chosen by some algorithm, not some weirdly organized version chosen by some algorithms. That, that would be, that's my preference. Okay. Number two, don't use services that lie to you about what's been posted or how others have reacted to your posts. Did you see this story? Now, I couldn't find it in time for this episode, so I don't know if I'll have it in the show notes or not, that there was one service, and I don't want to say which one it is because I can't remember. I don't know for sure. I think I know. Where they would, like, misstate the number of likes that your post had gotten. Really? Hmm. In order to, like, encourage you to engage. Uh Like, they would undercount it and, like, you know, I don't know. So, like... Any service that lies to you about like what your friends have done, yeah, out right. Um, don't follow organizations or people that you don't know or couldn't verify. There are some on Twitter. There are some on uh, Facebook that like are they're funny, right? Or they uh, are like you think they're politically compatible with you or whatever. But like, don't just don't do it. Like because you don't know they could be, you know, you don't know what their purposes are. Right. So it needs they need to be organizations that either you believe in, that you know about or friends. And I would prefer friends. Okay. That said, you know, there are some accounts that clearly you need to follow on Twitter, like Darth. (laughs) Darth is great. Yeah. Uh, Be initially skeptical, but not unduly of posts that generate an emotional response. Right. So if what you're reading, either from an organization or from whatever, like makes you feel either angry or really like overjoyed or you feel some emotional response, like back off a little bit right before you retweet or say something else. Like this, this is just general with discourse, but like the power of social media to generate these impulses and make us want to respond to those impulses. I think right. that's that qualitative difference that we're talking about. That comes and, from. and the negative, and it seems uh, that the, that the negative emotion and the, and the responsiveness to the negative emotion is by far the more powerful of the two. Yeah. So the discourse is being shaped and pulled in a, in a particularly negative direction. I don't like the word distorted because I don't think there's a distortion-free reality. So no, but, uh, so no. I just say pulled or shaped, right? Right. But, but what I'm saying is different than what anybody would expect, right? I, I don't even know that that's the case. Well, I, when I... Well, 
if I'm on Twitter and I, and I see in reverse cron all of the posts of all the people I follow, right? I understand what's happening, right? Yes. If, if they took the timestamps off of that and they reordered them, that would be a distortion of what happened to the extent that what I expect is to see a reverse cron timeline, right? It so, would, yes, it would be at odds with your expectation. That is true. Right. And so in, too, in the thing that you and, just defined. And most people do not expect that what they see on Facebook is a tiny percentage of the posts of their friends. Look, there may have been a time when that was true. It, and that time could actually still be now for yes. a lot of folks. But gosh, I feel like we've been talking about this for years. You and I have, and a lot of other people have. But I, but are, you know, if you did a, a poll, would most, I, I, maybe they have done this. I, maybe we can have listeners who write in. But I, I feel like average people who use Facebook probably don't realize what a small percentage of posts that they see. Okay. And if the and if the percentage is very small, it makes the choice of each one that much more salient, right? Yeah. Because you just have a ton of possible building materials, right? To in order to shape this world, a lot of degrees of freedom to shape the Facebook world for your yeah. visitors. Here's one. So the uh, <laughs> try to hear what people mean rather than what they say. When that would reflect better on them. Mm. And try to hear what they say rather than what you think they mean when that would reflect better on them. So this is like a general rule of like civil discourse, like a spirit of generosity. And the reason I put it here is because especially when politics and others, and I'm not saying they shouldn't come up and I think the use uh, uh, of social networks to discuss our politics and things that are important to us, I think that's actually can be a good thing, but you have to remember it's like being in a, in a crowded town meeting like 24 seven potentially. Right. Mm. And so the kinds of, of kind of very empathetic listening and talking that we have to do that we aren't used to doing every minute of our, like you're used to turning that off most of your life, I guess. Right. I mean, a lot of people are, and I, yeah, I am. I mean, I'm not always generous in the way that I perceive what people say or in what I, I'm not always careful in what I say. Right. And, right. And social media encourages, I mean, because we're on it in times of well, in carefree times, right, I may be somewhat careless in what I post, right? And so it may be all the more necessary for the people on the receiving ends of such posts who receive them to be more generous and and thinking, yeah, you probably might not have meant that or like why? Well, I think those, it's a great point. And it's a, it's a point, the importance and, and depth of which are, go far beyond social media. I think that's a... Uh, do you see though why I think it's a, especially acute with social media? I do. Because it's like it's like a packed room of people arguing politics sometimes, or arguing about, or arguing about like even if it's something as simple as like whether a movie was any good, or right. or whether you know, or or whether someone posting about their kid is like bragging unduly, or if they're just happy, or what. Like the spirit of generosity has it will make you feel better about your own use of the network. I think. I agree, and it it will probably have a a a, a positive effect on the quality of the information being exchanged in the network which is to say that it it, in this context could be uh advice similar to you know sneeze into the crook of your arm and not on the (laughs) head and like face of all the people around you right i I gotta remember that one joe i'll try that (laughs) all right see what you think of this one Remember that journalism is a profession and that ethics and best practices have been honed over generations of failures and successes within this profession. Therefore, follow professional journalists 
and distrust journalism that isn't traceable to an accountable and professional journalist. I, I don't say I don't say here it's never true. I'm just saying that when it comes to trying to figure out what's true in this world, yes, journalistic ethics have helped us. Now they're not. I, 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 do you want to say anything about that? I, I, I have so many qualifiers in my head. I understand what people like. I, right. I remember when when political blogs first got their start, and some of the op-ed pages, which were uh, of the major newspapers, were decrying the lack of blogger ethics, even though the lack of like major op-ed ethics was rampant. Like, so I'm not. <laughs> this is not like a. But what I'm saying is, when it comes to like actual reporting and dealing with sources, right there, there are so many problems that can arise in trying to report what's true that professional journalists have trained on been through it's not that they're infallible you know no. good news you know because we were just having a conversation i think the other day where i was very 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 critical of certain major news media um having missed some of the biggest stories of our times and uh I don't, what do you think about that is this a sound rule of thumb uh, it, yes i agree with it wholeheartedly and uh and i think it's very important that the 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 kind of skepticism Healthy skepticism and modesty uh, that you can learn on the job, including on beat reporting jobs, and and bringing that to an approach to information and it's the quality of the information and and how one needs to continue to try to improve the stock of information that you have as you're trying to understand what's true and sort it from what's not true. Um, I those are really important skills and really important. Uh, benefits that those of us who are trying to take in information without being able to spend all the time to investigate it ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. That we really need to try to take the, as, as full advantage of, of that as we can. Of the fact that there are professionals who are doing it well and there are other people who are not doing it well at all and, and have an interest in trying to get us to not see the difference. Right. Um, it's super important. Read about important stories from several news sources that have different owners. This is before you opine, before you reflexively retweet, unless it's a very trusted source or, you know, uh, um, or, but ideally if it's something you want to analyze or, or, or to feel strongly about like, before you even get worked up about something, you know, you see something somewhere like look at it somewhere else. What are, are other people reporting this? Yeah. Um, and, and in particular are other people who work for different people. Uh, reporting this um i think that's important yep and i think that's a very high standard that you yes put on this it. is but this is before you like just monitor like remember that things might not be as they appear at first blush right? right and so before you get too worked up about something you know is everybody reporting this i you know there have been instances of even professional journalists like you know and combine it with the prior one right you want to be you, you don't want to look to Oh, I want to look at a lot of sources, so I start just looking around for any sources. Well, this is so. So right, this is. So you're, you're not going to yeah a cast little, aside the prior one in order to serve this one. A little amendment: Fox News, Breitbart, and Infowars are not trustworthy sources of information. <laughs> All three show contempt for their own audiences. That's just a factual statement, I think. What are, what is uh, what other items do you have on your list? Just one more. There's oh, just one more. Just one more. Embrace services that ban purveyors of falsehoods. Social network services are not the government, and they have the power to act in the interest of their users. Beware services that choose not to do this. So, when you're saying purveying falsehoods, what are you what do you have in mind as particularly troublesome examples that have motivated you to make that observation? 
well, there's the Russian trolls on Facebook. There are fake, you know, there are Twitter accounts that could be banned. You want to beware, of course, censorship. You want to, you know, you want to beware a service that makes, that is showing you a slice of the world for its own interests and, and choosing not to show you a fuller picture. But, you know, the nature of a social network is it's not, its content is produced by its users and people can, can hack that, not in the traditional definition of a hack, but they can hack that, the informational aspect of it, right? right. And for their own purposes. And a social sure. network that doesn't protect you from that pollution is, um, you know, you have to ask, why aren't they? If they can, right? If, if, there, if there's something they can do to improve the quality of information, not the not not policing necessarily content, although you might like to choose a social network that has a strong no Nazis rule. That would be fine with me. You know, if they have the capability to, I, I need your help. It's too late. But delete obvious trolls, delete obvious you know falsehoods, right? And they're choosing not to do that. You know, there's probably an answer. Like people get more engaged when they get riled up sometimes, yeah. right? And if and if you think that's what's happening, there could be a better social network. But you know, at least so I I will say this, right? For all the problems that Twitter has, and it has many problems, right, including uh, being run by people who apparently don't use the service, it at least allows me completely to shape what I see, right? I mean, I'm able to control that. Yeah, um, and I can and. Sometimes people are retweeted in, and and you know sometimes you get replies from people. Like if you look at your replies, you choose to you don't control that, and it could be trolls. But you can block, right? It gives uh, sure the blocking tools. Maybe you're not good enough, and maybe they don't do enough to kind of block people preemptively who are clear, you know. But but in general, if I'm just looking at my timeline, I at least control that. And there is a lot to be said for that. Uh, you know, it's funny we a hundred years ago, roughly, with the changing environment becoming with the rise of urbanization basically concerns about adulterated food Mm. and the safety and efficacy of drugs motivated us uh, to develop systems for ensuring the integrity of the food supply yeah and uh, prohibiting adulteration of various sorts and uh, engaging in food inspections and that sort of stuff, and um, and just so with pharmaceuticals, right? The mm-hmm. safety and efficacy of drugs, things being marketed as medic as medical drugs, um, having to meet certain standards of of actual safety and actual efficacy, like de- right. demonstrated uh, effectiveness. You know, we do that because you don't. <laughs> it, it's just not tenable. Right to have the density of population on the one hand, and the inability to trust the food supply on the other, and, and people who are selling good food are are the first in line not to want that, right? Right, because they're dragged down into the muck of worry about the safety of the food supply if people can adulterate food and do all other kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, and I think we're in the middle of stumbling around in an information environment problem mm-hmm. that has some of the same characteristics. I feel like I'm saying the most unoriginal thing no, ever said. I think, no, I, no um, this, is, uh, this is good. But, but I think we're stumbling around in the middle of yeah. that. Only it's information, which yeah. means it's also expression. Right. Which, 
runs into some particular barriers to action in our legal culture as opposed to some other legal food cultures. is pretty important too though hmm? food is pretty important too though food is important um so i just think we're you know and and your list of of principles they seem pretty directed at the user yeah um because that's who we are as we're sitting here talking about things we've used and might continue to use or might decide not to use um, I think it's important too to think about the ethical principles that that should be on the drawing board Absolutely. for people creating these systems. That's why, why I tried to bracket it at the beginning because I think we need a whole show about like, how, you know, should we have a new um, a new kind of computer fraud and abuse act that could deal with the real dangers of hacking and what right. hacking really but is. It, uh, and, I'm uh, sort of reminded of this or uh, information privacy acts or the, the the new European thing that's coming down the pike. We need to answer some institutional questions, too. So when we talk to Ryan Kahlo about, you know, a robotics commission. Mm -hmm. Now, we have some institutional actors, the Federal Trade Commission, which has been spurred into some action this week by the Facebook. uh, And the only reason, right, that the FTC gets like is a useful entity here, right, is because they're the ones who have a relatively broad statutory mandate. Right. Well, and, and it's a broad statutory mandate that's aimed at consumer fraud problems. Right. And, and so to the degree that you can describe some of Facebook's activities as a species of consumer fraud, yeah. then you sort of got the statutory hook. Right. Um, and because of that broad mandate, they also have an institutional history of actually acting in the interests of consumers, yeah, right? Um, and and I, so I think as we're thinking about, you know, what are the standards that, that we should as users be trying to implement in our own private decision making and, and talking with one another about how to make better decisions as we use these things and also think about what legal requirements might need to be put in place that affect the designers and the purveyors of these services and the institutional environment in which those standards might be enforced. It, there's a lot of moving parts there, but, but we've been down this road before it, with respect to other important things in our lives. And we just have to have the self-confidence and the wherewithal both to recognize how important this is and to like actually get our act together and 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 do it. Yeah. You know, we, we, but we, I'm just pushing back against two kind of like like with with the food safety stuff like it's still even with that in, with with this uh the regime of food inspections right in the FDA at the FDA like we still people tell people like cook your chicken Right. Of course, right. no. You're, you're doing meats, both, like, and yeah, it's an ongoing doing, right. and it's an ongoing process because there will always be um, both um, mistakes and accidents, as well as malefactors mm-hmm. who are trying to do bad stuff. Right. You'll have all of that will always be happening. So it's not like you get to do this once and forget it. Um, it's a it's a learning a different way of life, and. And so right. part of those different that different way of life is about, you know, food safety. Part of that way of life is about, yeah, if someone comes along and wants to sell a new thing as a drug, we need to look at their safety and efficacy data. Right. I, 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 but I'm pushing, I'm pushing it back against two things that I've seen in the past. I, I remember having conversations about data privacy in the past and with people who are very smart people who... Who will say like, why should I worry about this? Like, I don't care if people find out. I'm boring. I don't care if, if people find out everything that I do. Like, it doesn't matter to me. And, and of course, people should care about that. And they should care not because of the disclosure of secrets, but because of what can happen when all those secrets are combined and the ways that it comes back and reshapes our discourse. So that's part of what I'm pushing back against is that data privacy has harms that you can't totally appreciate. The lack of data privacy has harms you can't totally appreciate. 
The right, second, because, because yeah. information gets aggregated and weaponized in ways that that rely on the on a lot of people's information being available. Right. And if you're participating in that as one of the people whose information is available, you're facilitating that. And and it's, and it's harder to see, right? It's 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 very yes. indirect, and and so that same attitude that makes us think, well, advertising doesn't work on me. Like it's that kind of mistake, but but like amplified, but also more harder to perceive, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing I'm trying to push back on is 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 a concern I have about what you just said that might feed into, right? That that people may say, oh, there's this. Basically, as you saw, the story reported initially it was reported as a Facebook breach, right? Like that, like they're like something, someone had done something wrong, and therefore, the solution here is the government should have regulated better, or Facebook should be prosecuted as bad guys. And I'm just not sure, and I, actually, I am sure that we will never get to the point where there is no, where it's where, where culture doesn't have to change. We'll never get to the point where where there's some institutional, governmental, institutional regulatory apparatus and some level of enforcement effort that will just solve this problem. We can just kind of keep going on as we have been and not worry about like how we consume media. You can just like go out into the media environment and consume it with a with a modicum of trust. Like you've never been able to do that. I understand there have been you know there's been yellow journalism and right. I, for a long time. But again, I think th- this is one where the, the quantitative difference has cross- crossed over into qualitative. Yes. Where we need a new attitude toward consuming media and talking about it with one another. And that's a cultural shift, I think, that's going to have to happen irrespective of our ability to try to bring some kind of, like, con- uh, of, of political morality to our online discourse. I understand very much why um, it would be good for that shift to take place. And I understand hoping that that shift takes place. I don't know how much evidence I see for the for that shift to actually take place. Well, look at Facebook's, look at their stock price. Look at the delete Facebook hashtag thing going on. Like, so it doesn't, it, you know, it, I don't actually think this is going to, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't want to predict what people, anything. But. What people want will factor in here and it, and it can factor in in a way that actually drives things toward a set of uh, arrangements, a set of affairs where there's, there's less sort of active, the, the worst, the most active and worst versions of the overt threats to the information ecosystem that is posed by the worst actors, right? So, so if you think about, you know, electrical appliances in the home mm-hmm. and think about early in the history of such appliances, my guess is that they were a lot more dangerous mm-hmm. than they are now. Right. Uh, started fires much more often, um, led to people getting harmful shocks physically than they do now, right? But there was all sorts of the the fact that those things weren't performing as well as people wanted, and yet they still had so much good promise, led people to do things like, well, what if we could come up with systems yeah. for certifying the fact that there are safety standards that these appliances satisfy? But it was, yes, but and, it, and so but with the, that example, it was in it's in no one's interest to make them more dangerous. Like it's in someone's interest not to spend more money to make it safer. Ah, I think we just hit on something, right? So it's that's a that might be that might be so pale a metaphor that it winds up being uh, unuseful. But but I don't want to give up on that just yet, right? The okay. idea that um, in a in a so in a marketplace where people can offer different appliances and like 
yeah, I don't, I don't want to spend more money to make it more safe. Okay, but there's another company that found the way to make it that safe without spending a lot more money on it. And so in a choice of something that's about the same price, one of which is safe and one which isn't, people will pick the one that's safe, right? Because it's actually cheaper when you adjust for quality. Even though the dollar price is the same, it's actually being sold at a smaller price because it's a higher quality at the same price. So you can harness the desire to give people more of the good stuff to drive out the bad if you take lots of steps and watch very carefully and make sure that competitive forces really can play an active role. Now, in the social network context, things the deck is kind of stacked against you, right? Because it's harder to have good competition among multiple platforms that mediate between two sides of an equation in the way that something like Facebook or eBay or other things do, right? Um, so I'm not saying it's easy, but I, I, th I think it can be part of the answer. Well, we've talked about how yeah, on prior shows about... Um trying maybe this is the show we did with Woody about trying to make privacy as a feature salient for consumers like trying to create a consumer preference for privacy and maybe events like this create that preference but again I'm like I'm worried that uh, that I, I don't want to say weaponizing information but I'm gonna say weaponizing information I'm gonna go ahead and say it like whatever that means <laughs> like but, but what if what if control of information and the shaping of intellectual environments is more like war? than it is like um, electrical appliances in that like maybe it's something that if we in all of our heart of hearts we'd rather not have but it's in a lot of people's interests to uh, to make war yeah then this is going to be a lot harder and much less likely to succeed because eternal vigilance um, in in endless war um, I'm skeptical that that's achievable for the simple reason that it's never actually been achieved right and this is the... Because it's never been required. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that we can do that. These are always my bleakest thoughts, that if we, can't, if we can't find a way to make it as inconceivable for one nation to attack another as it seems now for, I don't know, uh, for Minnesota to attack South Dakota, then we're, we're done for. Because, because, right. well, be, because just, like, just like information has become more powerful because of the ways that it can be manipulated, aggregated, and sent actual weapons have become more powerful right it is actually a pretty good analogy at least uh, you know at least this late at night think about how most people are using things like twitter and facebook as communication modalities and and social modalities with friends and and learning about stuff going on in their world and also learning some news and entertaining some stuff and sharing with some friends and it's all pretty quotidian stuff it's all pretty average daily stuff right and i think if 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 making this, if turning this environment into something that can be safe at average speed requires everyone to be maximally and eternally vigilant to a superhuman degree, that that is not going to happen. Yeah, maybe some of my items. I mean, I just these are things I dashed out, but like, but like some of them are about choice. Like, where should I show up? And I think people are vigilant about that thing. Like they choose like which which you know should I go to this bar or, or this exactly other bar kind of or this restaurant or that restaurant? With the, dangerous with yeah. the appliances, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. you have choices to make as someone right. who's a user of a system. And if a system is crappy and people stop using it, 
that's a way to have fewer crappy systems. Yes, but but like but the electrical appliances, I think that's where regulation has worked well, precisely because everyone wants them to be safer. The only issue is like as a producer of these things, is it worth it to me to make them safer? But we're okay with like the uh, um, with with deciding that a um, that those companies shouldn't be able to make that trade off precisely because it's so much easier. Like I don't want to have to as a consumer, I don't want to have to go into a store and say, "Is this one of those dangerous ones or not?" And ask for reputation. And so there's a mix, and, right? right? There's yeah. a, there's there there are regulatory approaches. So you've got consumer product safety commissions, but you've also got private systems that that the the actors who are better off if things are done well can signal that appropriately to people. So you've got things like Underwriters Laboratory. And so right. it's a yeah, mix do. of, of, do it's a mix of private yeah. and, and, and public regulatory. And sometimes one is leading and sometimes the other is leading. Uh, but it ta- these are hard things to accomplish. So I think it takes, you can get good things from these different sources. But there are things, you know, one one sign of good government is is that you've increased the number of things that people don't have to think about. Right? And focus their attention on things that they do have to think about, Right. Um, and, but there are some things in life you're just never going to like, for instance, um, <laughs> is it like most people would say like, I, it's fine to go to this park right now. This park is a beautiful park and lots of, it's a fine place to go. Um, that doesn't mean it's, I never have to think about where I go because maybe going, you know, underneath this bridge under these railroad tracks at two in the morning, is maybe not the best idea. Maybe it's dangerous. Like I do think about that. Right. Okay. And, and yeah. so. You know, given that there and, and there's like nothing that like we can we can have more police enforcement, try to make more of the city safer, or more of this area safer. But it's, you're always going to have to think about, you know, these kinds of things or at least. Of course. And, and, and so too, like the choice of social network. So, look, if anyone thought I was advocating for a set it once and forget it approach, I'm not. Um, because of the truth of what you just said. Um, uh, and in addition to the degree that. um some of these choices can be made better through a variety of these mechanisms, you know, at the making things better at the margin. Right. Is a, it makes things better. Mm-hmm. So it's like being thoughtful is good and trying to come up with some structural institutional mechanisms for getting things to trend in the better direction is also good. So uh, here's what I've done. Okay. Here's what I've done. In you know these are these are my rules of thumb, right? Or, or these are things that I think would be better thought about. Yeah, I've taken these and uh, well, I, I just kind of sketched these down. I don't I don't know what to do with them, but so I've taken Facebook off my phone and off on my tablet. Okay, but and, and I, but I'm not like I'm not trying to make some kind of martyr type. Like I'm abandoning. Like nobody cares if I abandon Facebook. Ultimately, <laughs> maybe a few people care, but like I would care. Yeah, but at the mar- like you know the most like. I'm not super important to the Facebook platform or even to like, I'll see people, right? It's been kind of liberating, I have to say, not having it on the phone and not having it on the tablet. Like, you know, it, Facebook had its claws in me in a way. Like I would like I'm habitually you feel better about taking it out. I would just habitually kind of turn it on just to see. And I liked, I liked seeing like people's kids and what's happening, people's funny posts. And, um, but like, you know, I, so I'm still going to go. Like I still have it on my laptop. I'll go and I'll check things out every now and then. Um, but it's like now it has to be a little bit more deliberate. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll try to pull back from it entirely. You know, but as you said at the beginning, and so I, didn't, I don't want to gainsay this and make it sound like I, did, I don't agree with you because I do agree with you. Like it's, you know, you do want to hear what's going on in other people's lives yeah. right, from them. Like things that they think are important enough to tell you about, you, you want to hear. And Facebook is just a very convenient way to tell people, you know, that, 
you know, something very terrible has happened in their life. And they want to, they don't want to have that conversation with every single person or have other people hear about it through the grapevine or have you show up and ask something which is insensitive. Had you known that thing right. or, or to share joys with you? Like, it's like, there's so much potential there. And I don't expect all of my friends to like jump over to Twitter and start doing it there. It's a different environment and it's a different kind of thing. And, and most people, you know, are not over there. Uh, at least it, a lot of the people that I follow on Facebook are not over there. So I don't know what the solution is, Joe. I don't know. But I'm frustrated. I hear you. You hear my frustration is what I you're do. saying. I and, do. And I share a good bit of it. And I think the people who have been leading some of these companies uh, have been making exceptionally bad decisions for an extended period of time. Uh, I, my great hope is that they will start making better decisions or that they'll get replaced. Yeah. Uh, either because the company uh, becomes much less useful and interesting and uh, appealing to people, be- so there'll be uh, replacements for them. Um, you know, some of these companies, they're, they're, it's not like they're publicly traded to the point where you could just sort of oust the, the leader of the, the company. I don't think there's any getting rid of Mark Zuckerberg. No, I mean, Matt so Iglesias you- wrote a piece saying that Mark Zuckerberg's moral responsibility is to shut down Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I may be mischaracterizing a little bit, but it's pretty strong. Yeah, um, and and that may be so, but uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't see that happening. Uh, so yeah, I share your frustration. I it, it's it's a bad week. We're and I I said this to you the other day, uh, apropos of just some things more generally in in the world and in the culture and in the, like we're on a very bad timeline right now. Mm-hmm. It's this is things are not. There's a lot that's going poorly. And it's, and it's just easy to kind of chunk all, you know, over time, it's easy to kind of just capitalize all the bad and make that the new baseline and go from there. And like, damn it, we shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, we, we have so much like this. And I'm not trying, I'm not trying to do that. I agree with you. That's not, a, that's not a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know where I would start, you know, we always hear this thing like, you know, if you want to change the world, don't start here or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. but if we want to change the world, why not start with a reverse cron? <laughs> Show me in reverse chronology. And look, if everything. we're just if we're just gonna uh, if we can if we can draw the show to a close yeah. by recommending some things to try to make stuff a little better. There, there's a there's a documentary coming out in a little while about uh, about Fred Rogers. Oh, now you're gonna make me cry. Well, this is my point exactly, right? So I was seeing a a preview for that documentary and seeing some clips of Mr. Rogers, and uh, he also came up the other day because I was teaching the Sony. Uh, uh, VCR fair yeah. use case, yeah, 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 and the court makes mention of the fact that Fred Rogers was one of the witnesses in the case, right? Uh, in in favor of VCRs having a record function so that people could tape a show and watch it, watch later it with their and, family, hmm? so that they could watch his show with their kids and yeah. stuff, yeah. And, and so he's very much a proponent of people being able to time shift programs with mm-hmm. a VCR uh, to help fit their lives better, and um, and I. And you can just see on the page as it's sort of like the Supreme Court is not not so subtly saying, look, you guys are rooting against Fred Rogers. If it's good enough for Mr. Rogers, it's good <laughs> yeah, enough. Yeah, right? like, come on. <laughs> right. Um, but this documentary is, is uh, I mean, you, you want... I think I retweeted that. I, I if saw you're it on a person of a certain thing, age yeah. and you see this preview and you're watching some clips of Mr. Yeah. Rogers, I mean, it is just the ugly cry starts like very quickly. It's hard not to cry. I remember. Because it's so yeah. affecting. It's so emotionally deep and affecting. I watched it as a, as a kid and I watched it with my kids. 
And I remember a late, an early, early morning in New Haven, I had to be in the chambers to work on something to get ready for a sitting. Did I tell you? I, no, I think I've told this story on the podcast I, I do not think I've heard this story. Before. And um, my kids had bought me like this Mr. Rogers sweater because they like thinking of me like Mr. Rogers, which is like something as a dad to aspire to in a way, right? And, sure. And, uh, um, and I was singing all the songs and I had it going in my head just on repeat because it was one of those early mornings where like, you know, the world is kind of like, you know swimming a little bit and i'm just you know that you are you're my friend you're a special song it was like on repeat in my head because i oftentimes have music going do you have music or do you have inner music joe uh, less than i used to hmm interesting all right well let's put a pen in that and explore that on a future episode <laughs> but it was going on and on in my head and you know that you are my friend you are special and then i got into uh chambers fired up the computer learned that he died mm. on my walkover um I guess during that time or something like that, but it was like really, um, poignant, you know, it was, um, and I, yeah, I'm not saying there's anything mystical happening or anything. I don't believe in that, but, but, but it was, um, that time in my life. It's so interesting how he'll be forever connected with my young parenthood. Mm. Right. And that, and it connects my young parenthood with my young childhood. Yeah. in 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 being this figure that I, as a child, I looked up to, and as a parent, I looked up to, you know, in a different way. Yeah. And it's having very, models like that is so important. It's very consistent with, like, the, 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 the Fred Rogers ethos and ethic is that your line item about, like, it, think this if that yeah. would make the best of the person, and think the reverse if that would make the best of the person. That's t- that seems to me very much a Fred Rogers idea. Mm-hmm. We need more of that these days. Yeah. So. And uh, and and he's also about you know, being okay with who you are. You know, pound. You know, sometimes we get angry and we have angry feelings and pound some clay. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. Right. You know, that's that basic idea. There's nothing wrong with you. It was just so beautiful. Like if, you know, we we're all weirdos in different ways, right? <laughs> we we all have like you know it, it, you know weird thoughts you know uh we're all weirdos and being at peace with that rather than warring against it right um it's funny too that he combined that with i think something equally important that if if you if you want to make a different choice you can do that too mm-hmm. but if there's something that you don't like about how you're experiencing yourself maybe that's something you want to change and you can do that you can do that so it's very but i love you just the way you are yeah it's and it's an interesting balancing act right to to um to try to affirm that people are are the authors of themselves in a very important way uh that could tacitly that could be taken to sort of tacitly suggest so why don't you start doing something different yeah and he's not trying to say that at all and there's no way to know you know looking back like how much of this like i was a kid who thought of it this way or didn't think of it this way or what I learned from the show or what I didn't learn from the show. But I just remember, you know, looking back at the episodes, how much it, it taught kids about how other people have rich inner lives Mm. because it was a discussion of the inner lives of other people, right? Rather than a a very superficial, like a cartoon where somebody laughs at someone else or someone beats someone else up or where, where, you know, you have all these feelings that you know about because you're you and everybody else is like an action figure, right? Right. Like, whereas in Mr. Rogers, like everybody, like, you know, the kid in the wheelchair wasn't just kid in a wheelchair stereotype. Oh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're in a wheelchair and therefore you have wheelchair problems or something like that, right? It was like, oh no, he was like, and I'm unfolding my hands right now, but it's like, 
see the kid in the wheelchair, have your thoughts about a kid in the wheelchair. And now let's talk about the very specific reasons this child is in a wheelchair. But then let's talk about all the other things that are either the same uh, within the, this child's mind as, as what's in your mind or are slightly different or, you know, it's like a, a real unfolding of a true personality. And he did that, I think, masterfully. And, and uh, modeling empathy in this very deep and just very everyday way. Mm-hmm. What it really means to think about other people as full people. Yeah. And the, the neighborhood of make-believe was just genius. Like everything is like, there's a time for being pragmatic. There's a time to feed the fish, right? Where you have responsibilities to these other, and, and then there's a time for just being with your thoughts and thinking ridiculous things. But sometimes those ridiculous things, there are lessons in them, right? It's just what I'm just thinking about it again, just what a brilliant show. I think we should shut this thing down and, and, and do something more like that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Indeed.